If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello, I have three children. I have three daughters. My eldest daughter is 12 years old. My middle daughter is 10 years old, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, so about 10 months ago. And I have a younger daughter who is about to turn 8 years old. I came on to ask about the decision of if I want to test my other two children who as of yet do not have type 1 diabetes, and I'm hoping that they, they of course, never get it, that if I want to test their antibodies to see if they have the markers that would set them up and predict them to have type one in the future. So that's a big question. And I'm wondering what your thinking is, because obviously there's some conflict you're having about it. So tell me what the dialogue is in your head. So when my middle daughter was first diagnosed about two years ago, it was brought to our attention that our other children had a greater risk than the general population of also getting type one. And so It was recommended to us from the endocrinologist to test them. But then we spoke to other endocrinologists at the time. And the feedback we got from the other endocrinologists were, even if they test positive, there's really not much you can do. And so we decided for that reason, and even for the reason of just like, we couldn't psychologically even deal with the possibility that another one of our children would have type one. Like it was just psychologically too intense for us. So we decided... We're just putting that out of our minds. Mm -hmm. We're just going to get through this crisis of having one child with type one and just do the, do everything we can to get through this situation right now. And so fast forward two years later, a few things have changed. One of the things that's changed is there's this new medication that has been approved for certain children where if they have two or more of the markers for type one, then possibly they could do this new medication, I can't pronounce the name of it, that could potentially delay the onset of type 1 for about three years. That would be the average. Mm -hmm. So now it comes into question, is it worth testing our other children so that we could possibly use this medication and have possibly type one delayed for three years. And of course, for my eight-year-old, that would mean eight, nine, 10, 11. Maybe she gets it when she's 11 or 12 in this scenario. And it's easier for an 11 or 12-year-old to manage type one than it is a seven or eight-year-old. And then, you know, um, people have said to us, and there could be new technology that's developed in that three years. So by postponing the type one, you've really given yourself a real step forward. So that would be a reason why we're thinking about testing them right now. The other reason I'm thinking about testing them is because I've noticed that I had like an onslaught of anxiety when my seven-year-old 
she was having headaches for a period of time. And I just went into an abyss of, I think she has type one. And I tested her blood sugar a few times. And like a couple times after she ate sugar, it was like at 160. And I was, I went into like a complete panic. I was about to take her to the emergency room. And then I talked to like two endocrinologists and they're like, no, that's not, that is a normal response. This is, that's like a normal blood sugar. And then I took her to the pediatrician and they tested her urine and they were like, she doesn't have type one. Nobody was judgmental. They understood. But I realized like, I'm freaking out right now. Like I'm freaking out that one of my kids has type one. Since I did those tests on her, I've calmed down again. But I think what it did was, and you can stop me if I'm talking too much, but what it did was make me wonder, is it going to be psychologically helpful for me to know Mm -hmm. if one of my other kids has the markers for type one? And I, the question is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's it's both the medication that they'd be able to take. My concern about testing them with the markers for type one is that what if they do come back positive? What if they do come back positive? Can I psychologically live with that? Um, and would I even really want to put them on this medication? Because the medication can be quite intense. I've spoken to a doctor about it. of the people have really bad side effects from it. It is 14 days of intravenous medication for them. I mean, the thought of being with one of my children in that kind of scenarios in a hospital administering this new medication feels also traumatizing to me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. both roads feel like, um, you know, like there's just could be trauma involved. And then I, yeah, I just, they both don't sound good. So kind of where I am at this particular moment in time is I'm like pushing it away again. Like, Mm -hmm. I just don't even want to think about this. My kids seem healthy. They don't have type one right now. They're thriving. So I'm just going to like kick this ball down the road Mm -hmm. um, because it's just too hard to encounter the realities of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I hope that was, that's kind of like the summary of the whole thing. Yeah. That's a beautiful summary. And it makes sense to me why you're torn. Um, yeah, I, I actually want to share my story around how yeah. my second child got diagnosed because there's yeah. some overlap and similarities with yours. And I think it might be helpful. Yeah. So my son was diagnosed when he was nine and I had the exact same response as you to the idea of putting them in trial net, which is basically what you're talking about to get tested yeah. for markers, which was no yeah. way. I can't handle that. That's too much. I'm not doing anything for the research. I just need to keep afloat right now. Right. And then I think it was about a year later, I was actually at camp and they, the trial net people trotted through and I'm like, oh yeah, we could do that. And, and so within about a year, I was ready to um, engage with that. The first year we tested everyone, nobody came back with any markers. It Mm. wasn't till the second year that we tested that my daughter, who at the time was two, came back with markers. The reason Mm -hmm. I wanted to share that with you is because if I understand correctly, and you might be more up to date on this than I am, and we maybe jump online and research, I think TrialNet now only tests people under 18 one time. Yes, they Mm -hmm. do, because I spoke to one of the heads of trial, one of the leaders of it, Mm -hmm. and he said... It's very unlikely that in your scenario, exactly what happened. He said that that's like an unlikely scenario. It does happen. So right now they're looking into, would we test a child once? And then you'd probably want to do it again a few years later. 
And then after 18 years old is when if they don't have antibodies, they're likely not to develop antibodies. But yes, they are only doing it mm-hmm. once, but then you yourself could go back a few years later and do it again. Got it. Okay. So there's an opportunity because my yeah. experience was that it changed, right? Right. And so I don't think that you take a snapshot at one moment, it's not fixed, right? right. So even if you decided to do the testing, to kind of quote unquote, reassure yourself that they don't have the markers, let's say right. that's the happy ending. It's not like it's a fixed piece of data that's for all time, right. they never will develop them. Right. Um, right. So what you're facing then is the idea of sort of like what, I mean, what I hear you saying is what's the worst case scenario? Like what can I handle more <laughs> or less? Right, <laughs> or what would be the most reassuring? Like, mm-hmm. so let's say I got that negative test. Mm-hmm. So does that mean probably for a year, I'm not worrying about it with that kid, maybe? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like six months to a year, am I not worrying about it with that kid? Um, or am I just so anxious that even if I got that negative test and six months later, I noticed something with my kid, <laughs> I'm freaking out anyways. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure I'm articulating it no, well. You but are. You are. Yeah, like what? which path for me personally is going to reassure me the most or help me live with the least amount of anxiety? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the the questions. Yeah, Yeah. which of course I can't answer, but we have some ways to explore it. I think one other question I have before we go to explore it is, does something come up inside you about if you don't do it? First of all, if I don't do it and one of my kids gets type one, if one of them lands in the hospital for it, God Mm -hmm. forbid, how am I going to feel about that? Mm -hmm. You know, that I didn't take this step that could have maybe prevented that. And then the question is, if one of them gets it and I could have done something to prolong it. (sighs) But this this is hard because then it's putting an an amount of pressure on myself that's just unreasonable at that point. Like, I, I totally agree. I'm just wondering what yeah. you're, what's spinning in your brain. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. I mean, I think just that, is it, is it wrong to not give my kids the opportunity to do something that could mm-hmm. help, you know, delay this? But the, the difficulty is also my seven-year, my eight-year-old, let's say, I could make the decision for her. I'm not sure I could make the decision for my 12-year-old. So that's another question I have. Like, is my 12-year-old old enough for me to inform her about this and find out her thoughts about it? Or is that too much developmentally to ask her about? Because I don't think I would force my 12-year-old to get two weeks of very intense intravenous medication if she was like, you know, really didn't want to do that. I'm just not sure. These are all the things spinning in my head. Okay. Yeah. I want to finish one piece of what happened for us, which is that when my daughter came back with positive markers, I actually did put her in a study. Uh And so she couldn't get into it till she was three because she was so young. She Uh went into a study. And what the study did for us is, even though it was brutal, she had to put a little IV lock in her arm. They had to do blood draws. Yeah. You know, we spent a whole morning yeah. in the hospital. It was miserable. It was every six right. months. But what it yeah. did for us is it made her diagnosis completely non-traumatic. So right. we, we knew as her pancreas was failing, 
So there was no drama or trauma. And because we knew as her pancreas was failing, we had very minor interventions. So we just Mm. gave her one shot of long acting insulin and that was it. No short acting for Mm -hmm. a while. And we would check her blood sugar a few times a day, like not a big deal because she wasn't fully diabetic. We just knew her pancreas was dying off or its function was dying off. So from my perspective, holding that, yes, there's a psychological cost. There's also the upside was there was, it was a very easy entry into diabetes. And because I was seasoned, right? right? Because I already knew how to do it. There were no questions about what was going to come next, right? Like I got her on a pump immediately. I knew exactly what to do. None of that had as much difficulty and drama or trauma as it did the first time. So I just want to name that that's a possibility if one of your kids did come back positive. I think I really appreciate that story. And I think the part where I get stuck with it is I hear about the entry into having type one as being just much more systematic and not traumatic and dramatic. And I think for me, those mornings in the hospital that you're talking about with the IV thing, that to me sounds like a complete nightmare for me personally. Uh Like I am terrified of that. Mm -hmm. And so my husband could do all that. Mm -hmm. But like, it literally sounds to me like I'd have to be seriously medicated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just it's Mm -hmm. that is terrifying for me Mm -hmm. personally, the IV and just them crying and oh, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. So, so you, I think that's a big like, fear of mine. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you know yourself well, right? Like yeah. I, I, I can't weigh in on this. A lot of this is around what, you know, this is this is the danger in some way of having so many medical choices, right? right. Is that it just kicks up a lot emotionally for us about right. what's the right way. And also because there are they are actually choices, right? You're not, it's not right. like your kid... God forbid, it's not like your kid got cancer and you have to do right. IV. There are no choices, right? right? This is a right. situation where you have a choice and you have to actually decide and in a thoughtful way what you can handle. And I think that it's right. reasonable for you to think about that. Um, right. And I and I have to say, I'm wondering, there's some piece of me, and I'm wondering why this is, because I don't know yeah. you that well. There's something yeah, yeah, to me yeah. that believes that you're stronger than you're saying. Like, I know that you've survived yeah. two years of your kid having diabetes right. and you, you're you making it work, right? And if right, you right. had a second kid with diabetes, you would make that work too. I am not wishing right. that on you, <laughs> believe me. Right, right, right. And you would make it work. So I, I'm wondering, like, what's happened for you with her diagnosis? Like, why is the narrative that you can't handle it? Because I have a belief that you probably could. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, are you talking about handling the, if my another child has type one or if I have to go through the, the, the those medical interventions? Which one are you talking about or both? <laughs> well, I was talking specifically about if one of your other kids has type one, because the medical intervention piece, again, you have a choice and you're saying, I don't know if I could do it. Like it might right. be too, just literally too much yeah. for me. And I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to rephrase that. Like if I had to do something, I would do it. Like, of, of course. course. Yeah. Right. Like 
what you're saying. Like, if whatever I have to do for my kids, I will find a way to raise the occasion. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about not if I could or couldn't handle another kid having type one. Like, of course, if another daughter of mine has type one, I am going to once again just expand my entire heart and way of being in this world and do it and dedicate myself to them having as meaningful of a life as they can and my you know and our whole family having that so it's not that i think i can't i guess it's just that i really there would just be so much more grief again in that and i think to be honest with you i think it's less about my older daughter i think it's less about my 12 year old i think my 12 year old i see her as very mature and competent and i'm like okay i wouldn't like it i'd be very upset but like and there'd be a lot, but like she can do this. It's something about my eight-year-old just seeing, feeling like she's so young. She's so vulnerable. She even seems younger and more vulnerable to me than my other daughter did when at, at eight when she was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, she just seems like so helpless. I guess maybe it's like she's my, my littlest. She's my baby. And so just the thought of her having to do all this and learn all this just just breaks my heart more than anything. It just feels like it would be another round of very intense grief that I can't even like conceptualize Mm -hmm. that I've already done, you know, like with, I'm still grieving the fact that one was diagnosed. So this feels like another round of grief that I just can't imagine that I would have to go through and just, Mm -hmm. you know, break apart, fall apart and rebuild again. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that. That makes sense. Just not wanting to have to go there yet. <laughs> yeah, and and you might never, right? I want you to right. remember that. Like people, families like mine right. exist, but we're still kind of rare right. in the overall diabetes world, right? Right. Again, I have no crystal ball. Nobody does. Right, of course, right. yes. The other thing I want to say about that is from my experience, yeah. like um, it, it's not a circle, it's a spiral. So the idea uh-huh. that like you would grieve the same, you won't, it will be different. And like my right. grief with my second child was actually for me far more than for my first, because with my first, I was so frantically learning everything with my second, right. I actually had room to understand what it right. Meant. Right. Yeah. So I think that might be part of what you're grappling with is, you know what it means yes. now. Right. It's right. not just shock and awe, like, oh my goodness, I have to right. do this thing. It's like, wow, it really right. makes a difference in someone's life. Right. My 10 year old now is just starting to get some independence, right? Like, I'm going to drop her off at a birthday party in a couple of weeks. I'm scared of it, but like, I'm like, okay, maybe we can do this. And so it's almost the, the thought of like, oh, I would have to go back to being just tied to her in such an intense, you know, my other daughter, like just in such an intense way. Like, yeah, that's, you real. know, right. That you yeah. know, with very young children and diabetes, there's definitely, it's sort of like when you have a new baby, right. You step right. back in time in right. terms of what, you know, what restrictions there are really. And it's the same right. with diabetes. What I will say is the difference is that you already know what you need. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. 
you feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. First of all, my experience is it, it's almost like we're our own camp, right? I, I remember once yelling upstairs, if you're diabetic, check your blood sugar, you know, because like my funny. son had a friend over and, you know, it just who also had diabetes. So it like became like my house became diabetes central in a certain way. So the feel yeah. for my younger daughter diagnosed later was very different than for my son. Uh-huh. She never had the same feeling of being the only one, of being alone. And I was so much more right. confident and so much more of an right. advocate. And the school already knew what the deal was. Like a lot of the difficulty and challenge was not there. Right. right. That didn't mean that I didn't mourn. I mean, I remember falling apart, crying in the middle of a yoga class, right? Like it was, it right. was all it was worse in some ways. But right. I just want to remind you that the learning right. you've done is is right. there. So it won't be the same experience instead of, again, instead of a circle, it's a spiral. Like you'll recognize where you are, but you'll be in a different place with it. Right. Which I, yeah, which I think is frightening, you know, to just think about, uh, yeah, like I'm in the grief that I know right now. So then to go yes. to grief, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, which of course, is inevitable in life to some extent, no matter what. Yeah. 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 What I hear is you're trying to hold on to being able to control all these variables because it's so terrifying. Right. And I see you shaking your head. Like we all know we can't do that. (laughs) We don't get to. Right. And I think one of the hardest things about being a type one parent is that idea of parental omnipotence, like that we can do everything that we can protect our children, that we have the power right. to do that gets stripped right. away from us. We can't. Right. And I think the decision almost feels like, right, like testing my children goes into the, uh, if I test them, it's like, I'm going into the, okay, well, you have some level of control at that mm-hmm. some level, if you have the small level. Yes. Right. And so which I could see could be really comforting, Mm -hmm. but it's almost, and I'm not saying it's the right, like, I don't know if it's the right thing for me, but I think I'm taking more comfort for myself in the not knowing right now Mm -hmm. that somehow feels, I don't know, somehow just feels easier to just look at them, see them healthy every day and be like, okay, I'm just going to look at that. Mm They, they, I think that's they're healthy. They're thriving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason I asked, like, do you have any sense of like, I'll feel so guilty if, because I think it's okay to choose to not, you don't have to know you, if one of your children, again, like God forbid develops type one, if one of your other kids does, you're going to see the signs a lot earlier. It's going to be my guess is a very different experience. Yeah. Even without testing them. Right. I think that it's interesting. I'd love to know. It'd be interesting. I wish I had a crystal ball to be able to predict 
if I tested one of them, how much reassurance is that going to give me? Like, let's just say they come back negative. That is what I would love to be able to know. Like, will I for three months feel good Mm -hmm. (laughs) for six months, Mm -hmm. you know, or is this part of me that's terrified, you know, still going to activate? Like, I I just think that's like an interesting question for me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And of course, I don't know either, but you just said something very important there, which I think you need to think about or you would benefit you to think about, which is the part of me that's terrified. Right. Which means not all of you is terrified. And I suspect there's part of you and you named it to me that knows that you'd step up and do what you have to do and that you have the strength and capacity to manage what comes your way. Right. And so I, I actually think, you know, you took my put diabetes in its place course. I think you should go back and map the part of you that's terrified because you need to understand how to talk to that part of you, right? That part of you is acting up and you need to learn and figure out how to soothe that part of you, how to lean into the parts of you that know that you will manage it. It won't be pretty. You won't like it, but you have the strength to do it. Can you remind me about that mapping or if you don't want to now, I can go back and look at it as well. Yeah, I can remind you about it. Um, uh, So mapping a part, what you want to do is think about what is your experience when you're in that part. So when you're terrified that one of your children is, uh, one of your other children is going to develop type one, what you want to think about Mm -hmm. is what do you think and say to yourself when you're in that part? So you say Mm -hmm. something like, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. This won't be, I don't know exactly what you say. Right. Right. So you want to think about that. You want to think about um, what does it feel like emotionally for you in that part? Fear and terror. And there might be other things Uh there too that maybe helplessness, right? Isn't it? Yeah. And then you also want to think about what does it feel like somatically in your body? What's it like? Mm-hmm. Right. And that I actually don't know. You haven't indicated that to me. Do you know? Yeah. Like it might feel. Uh, like I a, think it like a lot of pressure, a mm-hmm. lot of pressure, really tight. You mm-hmm. know, my head hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the reason it can be so helpful to identify mm-hmm. that and it's a nice yeah. exercise the reason it can be so helpful to identify that is then you can notice when you're shifting into that part. Right? Uh-huh. And when you have that pain in your head and all this pressure, you can say to yourself, Oh, with kind of like a distant observation, like, Oh, wait, yeah. I recognize this. This is the part of me that gets terrified and think about how, you know, and this is a piece of personal work for you, but to think about yeah. how you might, talk to that part from the part of you right. that knows that you have the capacity. It doesn't mean you want it right. or are courting it, right. but you know you have right. the capacity. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Um, I, I have a feeling I'm going to do this test for them at some point. Um, I just have this intuition that that is where I'm, what I'm going to end up doing. I think the question is when I'm going to feel comfortable doing it, mm-hmm. you know, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know when that's going to be. <laughs> I don't um, think there's a rush. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you get to do this at exactly the pace that's comfortable for you. Yeah. Or there's no pace that's comfortable, but I could do it at the most comfortable pace. I like, <laughs> Whatever I like that, that. That's good. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about, and, and I, I would no way, shape or form would do this anytime soon without being really prepared and thoughtful about it and intentional. But, you know, I have quite a mature 12 year old and it seems like she would have to somehow be included in the conversation. I'm obviously not ready to have it because I think I would have to have, she would look to us for guidance. And so I would have to be able to state with as much confidence as possible the path that I thought would be best, that we think would be best for her. Mm -hmm. But do you think there is space for a 12-year-old to have a voice of opinion? Or is that, or let's say she's 13 at that time or 14. Like at what age do they start... Is it like, well, this is also your decision that is or really your opinion matters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember because in the studies, I think at some age, and it's 12 or 13, the kids have to sign assent, not consent, but uh-huh. assent. Um, right. And I, I think that there's a philosophical and slash parenting question here, right? So some of yeah. this is that... Um, Like I hear from a lot of parents who want their children to weigh in on whether or not, for example, they want a pump or they want a CGM. Right. And um, I, I myself was there when my son was diagnosed, he didn't get on a pump for a very long time. He did not want one. And what was starting to happen. How old was he? He was nine when he was diagnosed. Uh And I honestly can't remember how many years it took until he got on a pump. But I remember it was somebody saying, you know, me sort of saying again and again, like it's his body, he has a right to weigh in. And this woman said to me, you know, when my daughter uh, was 16, I told her she had to get a driver's license. Some, and she didn't uh-huh. want to. Sometimes our kids right. don't have choices about what happens right. to them because we need something to happen for them. So, and it it was definitely what happened for me with CGM. He did not want to wear a CGM and I was working and waking up with two kids in the night doing, you know, setting alarms to do finger sticks, having to do that multiple times. And finally said, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Like I don't have a choice anymore. You must wear this. So I I think that that is a um, legitimate question. And I think where I have come out as a parent, having gone through this is that they don't know. And even though we want to hear their opinion, they are too young to make these kinds of decisions themselves. So yes, you also, I wouldn't let all of this out at once to my 12 year old. I would say, I think it would be wise for us to get this testing if you decide you want to do that and don't talk to her about what would happen if it comes back positive. Right. Right. You cross that bridge if, and when you get to it, because I suspect your feelings about it might shift also. Right. 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 Well, I think she would ask what happens if I come back positive. So I would prob I would I would outline that, you know, would there be interventions we could take so that, you know, you don't get really sick and we're able to like deal with it gradually. There's no surprises as yeah. an example. But I mm-hmm. I think and we're not here yet, so I'm not gonna go that far into this, but I think that new medication, 
is an interesting one because there is no guarantee. Like a CGM and a pump, yep. you can pretty much say your blood sugar levels that are going to be more in control. The like we're going to be able to sleep through the night more. Like those, you know, you're you're at a more ninety percent probability rate of those things mm-hmm. happening, or maybe closer to a hundred percent. But this new medication. 50% of, you know, like a lot of the participants, they still develop type one and then in, within the year. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, I, I'll cross that bridge if and when I come to it, but I think it's hard to force a person to take an experimental medication if they're really refusing it, if you really don't know if it would work or not. It's a very hard medication because type one, it's not like a life or death sentence. Like if you do get it, you can manage it. That's right. So it's not like you're saying to my your kid, you have to do this. If not, there's a 50% chance you're going to die. Yeah. Right? It's like, Absolutely. well, right. And, and it makes it a little more harder. Yeah. And, and I want to name that for some kids, it might not feel as hard as you imagine it would feel for you. Right. 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 Like people have different relationships to medicine. And like, I, I know plenty of people who have opt diabetic kids to UND kids who have opted to go sit in hospitals all day long with needles because they get paid. Right. There's lots of wow. people who make their money to travel in Europe that way. <laughs> wow. So, Are you serious? Oh, yes, absolutely. I know many of those. Oh, kids. my God. That is fascinating. To me. Right. So you have a particular dread and you're assuming that she will have the same dread. She right. might not have right. the same dread. You know, right. and if you decide it's right for her, you could be like, here, you could get this. You know, you could bribe her. If that's what you decide, right. but she might not even need it. She might think it's fascinating. Who knows? We don't know right. what her reaction will be. Right. I think that's really helpful to think about. Right. Yeah. How is it to have this conversation? Because there are no easy answers here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I don't know how it is to have this conversation. It's obviously painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, you know, just brings me right back to the, Mm-hmm. core of this whole thing just being so insane that I'm even here mm-hmm. discussing this and then you know on the other half I'm really grateful that I have like an amazing community of support you know like you and that I'm not the first one walking this path and that you know that this that everybody can live and still have like happy good lives so and I know that like after this, like I could pick myself up and, and go with my kids at school, enjoying her day and we can have Shabbat dinner. And like, so it's just like both. So mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm really grateful. Thank you for talking about it with me. And of course. I just think there's going to be a lot of tears to process before I take any action mm-hmm. um, in one way or the other. It sounds like you're being incredibly thoughtful and I think um, very respectful of yourself. And I'm glad. Right. Because Thank you, you. you are the linchpin for your family um, and yeah. your wellness matters a tremendous amount in how your girls are going to manage their diabetes. Your daughter's going to yeah. manage her diabetes. Your girls are going to manage any medical interventions yeah. they have. And so for right. you to take that seriously and be ready and thoughtful is really good for them. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Joanne, for like all the support you offer this community. It's really incredible. I know it's hard to find, you know, somebody who's really like in this profession who can also understand it as a parent living it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks for being on the show. 
Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. 